This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. Let's talk to Craig Earlham in London. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Well, of course, it is Thanksgiving Day in the United States, but we should talk about yesterday's Fed minutes and a mixed reaction from them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I would say first and foremost, happy Thanksgiving to all our American listeners um, who will have seen the uh, minutes yesterday and maybe breathe a little sigh of relief, perhaps. The takeaway, it seemed, when the Fed decision came a few weeks ago wasn't really that they were seen to be pivoting towards a 50 base point rate hike in December, mainly, I would expect, because that was something that was expected going into the meeting. But it was the kind of surprise notion that the terminal rate could be higher. So that actually caused a bit of a wobble in the immediate aftermath of the decision a few weeks ago. Uh, But what was clear from the minutes, uh, and it's always the nuance in these uh, minutes, was that a large majority favoured slowing the pace of tightening from the next meeting because of the lag effect and the fact they've had 475 base point rate hikes. But only some thought the terminal rate should be higher. Now, when you take into consideration the terminal rate is not going to occur probably for at least a few months, if not longer, that's a lot of time for the economic data to swing in the favour of a lower terminal rate or for markets to adjust if the terminal rate does need to be higher. So it feels very insignificant, both in terms of duration, but also in terms of numbers as well. So... I think the takeaway from this Fed minutes was actually the markets were right before the meeting. It's a relatively dovish shift. Plenty of time for that to change. They've obviously got a jobs report and inflation report before the Fed meeting in December. But now it feels like the discussion around 75 base points is all but off the table. I really wouldn't be surprised if the discussion becomes more 50 or 25 if we do get some positive data in between then. We've had the latest announcement from the Bank of Korea, which has increased rates by 25 basis points. Was that expected? It was expected. They previously raised by 50 basis points, but the economy has been under pressure. Again, there is that kind of lag effect, which we are now seeing play a bigger role in central banks. The RBA, the Bank of Canada have all both slowed the pace of tightening um, prior to this. And now the Bank of Korea has joined them. Like I say, the economic headwinds, the uncertainties, the trade data we've seen recently has been underwhelming, if not worrying. A recession is now looking uh, much more possible. And the central bank has therefore slowed the pace tightening 25 basis points. They've left the prospect of many more rate hikes on the table. But it seems that now they feel like they've bought themselves the ability and the time to do it at a slower pace so that they can judge the data as it comes in, account for the lag in monetary policy and hopefully not over tighten uh, and lead to a situation where they're pushing the economy into a severe recession and maybe even a period of deflation. This is the problem. This was always the problem with central banks taking too long to start their tightening cycles is... Yes, there, there was a lot of uncertainty and everyone has twenty twenty hindsight. And I remember at the time there was a lot of uncertainty about whether central banks should be in such a rush to raise rates or whether this transitory notion held still held some weight and whether there was still plenty of evidence of it. But the problem with holding off is you then have to be much more aggressive, which doesn't give you the time to analyse the data as it's coming in and ensure you're not overly aggressive. So it seems like more central banks now are saying, Do you know what, inflation is still high. But I do feel like the, what we've done is going to have an impact. We are seeing signs in surveys, etc., that it's having an impact. You can see the economy's coming under some strain, so we can afford now to ease off the brake a little bit, even if the inflation data is still high, on the expectation that 
if we keep hiking at a slower pace, that inflation will ultimately fall to target and not go below target and we won't drag the economy into a bad recession. And what doesn't uh, necessarily help is, is this news from China about further COVID lockdowns. Yeah, the uh, the lockdowns, it seems to be appearing in China, although we're not really confirmed at this point, but there's many cities where we are seeing now record COVID infections. So we are seeing testing, we're seeing restrictions being imposed, and there is speculation that we could now see lockdowns. This comes only weeks after uh, it was uh, we saw these new this new kind of 14 point plan with regards to covid the idea that we could see more targeted action and reduce the need for growth busting lockdowns that we've seen now for two years in china but then we get these record infections and um uh, and and then they're put in, in a very difficult position in terms of how they're going to actually approach this and like i say that creates enormous uncertainty it creates enormous uncertainty for china which is uh, which is seen up and down growth, uh, but m- largely down uh, over the course of the last year or two. It creates huge uncertainty, therefore, for Asia as a whole, with China being such a huge and important economy around there. But also, they're the world's second largest economy. So um, there's the old saying with the US, when the US sneezes, the world catches a cold. Well, China is a massive economy at this point, so it does have implications all around. So, yeah, it's not really what we want to see. And I guess we're going to see the now 14-point plan really put to the test. Looking at the price of oil now, Craig, it's hit a two-month low. Is this mainly down to news of this possible price cap for Russia? I think that's got a lot to do with it. That was certainly what drove the declines we saw yesterday. This price cap's been discussed now for many, many months with the G7 trying to agree both on the terms uh, and the legal framework for it, but also then the actual price itself. Where is the ideal place to put this price cap so that you can try and get maximum cooperation uh, where you can not decentivize production from within Russia of course otherwise you'd put the Russian price cap at zero and say well let's just see how you deal how your economy holds up there well the problem is that everyone pays the price we need Russian oil at the end of the day we can't just take one of the world's largest producers and wipe them off the market and expect there not to be ramifications for the rest of us so it's a case of trying to make it as unprofitable as possible what with maximum cooperation of course uh, there is leverage that the G7 has because of its its control over shipping and insurance etc which is how it's going to implement this price cap. But trying to find the level that everyone can agree on is very difficult. And what caused the price drop yesterday was it seemed that the levels that were being discussed was around $65 to $70. That's actually a bit higher than many had thought may be possible because, uh, uh, again, there's kind of pushback within the group as term- because different people have different uh, things to lose and different amounts to lose. For example, the shipping companies and the shipping countries like Greece and Cyprus, etc., they have a lot more to lose in this than, than France or Germany, for example. So, therefore, you have to find a kind of happy medium. And that level is seen as being not too much of a problem because it can be implemented. Uh, because that's roughly where Russia is selling at at this point in time anyway, because it's already selling at a steep discount. And um, and therefore, it ensures that there's probably not going to be any loss of production from Russia. So when you take when you take this factor into consideration, if this is where we see the cap in, in, imposed, then it's really going to be quite ineffective, but also it's not going to be too disruptive, um, which begs the question, what's the actual point in all of this? But from a market's perspective, it led to a decline in the price of oil, and that's why we're seeing it trade around $85 a barrel today. And final word on the British pound, uh, Craig. It's hit uh, pre 
Liz Truss high now? Is that mainly down to the weakness of the dollar or have we managed to put that period, that economic turmoil behind us here? I'd say a bit of both. I think the dollar weakness has obviously played a factor. The return of risk appetite has played a factor as well. And I think the efforts that we've seen since from the Bank of England and then from the new government and the new autumn statement, while it's not going to appease everyone, it did appease the markets and it did bring some confidence back to the markets that the UK is on a stable footing and is on a is on a, a stable path, uh, not necessarily to growth per se, but towards fiscal credibility and uh, and, uh, and and that's important. Um, ultimately, we do have a huge amount of debt, and therefore we need to show that we are responsible, and that's what the markets wanted to see from the autumn statement, and that's what they got. And I still think there's probably some credibility and there's still some uh, confidence that needs to be restored, but I think what the efforts of the last month or two has gone a long way to achieving that. Okay, Craig Earlham in London, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.